the first reading this morning is Luke 19, Zacchaeus the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Our second reading is Isaiah 1, 16 to 20. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. It's good to be here in person, isn't it? Um, Zoom church is good. No, Zoom church is okay. Um, for those who are watching, uh, it's as good as you've got. But um, it's great to be together, and I'm, I'm really uh, delighted to be here with you this morning. I want to look at Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. Has anyone heard this before? You have? I'll close in prayer. Father... <laughs> No, 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 only kidding. You don't get off that easily. Um, uh, it's a story which we're pretty familiar with. It's the story about that little tax collector climbs up the tree, Jesus comes and has lunch with him, and uh, his life is totally transformed. And that's pretty much what you've found in the reading just then. Uh, and, and it's hard to try and read into that more or drag out of it more. Um, so why on earth have I picked this? Uh, the reason, as Matt's already kind of led us to, is because Jesus declares in this so clearly his intention, what his mission is, what his purpose is. He has come to seek and save the lost. And Luke, who recorded this, says as he opens up the gospel, I've recorded these things, these important things, I've done the research, I've collected the information so you'll have an accurate account of what took place. Jesus did not accidentally or coincidentally say that his purpose in coming was to seek and save the lost. But I think, I could be wrong, but I think that we've turned Zacchaeus into a Sunday school story and it's a cute story about a little man. 
and we've forgotten that in this account is Jesus' purpose, not only his for coming to earth, but for those who want to follow in his steps and to fulfil his mission. So let me pray that what is familiar uh, won't fall from being significant. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we come under your word this morning, I pray you'll help me to be clear with it and careful. And I pray that you'll speak into our hearts uh, so that we might respond with faith and with obedience. Amen. The outline you've got uh, gives you an idea of where we're going. And, and so you'll know when uh, we're coming to an end. Um, um, I don't want you to focus on that, though. What I'd like you to do is see if there's things you might learn along the way. Um, so first of all, I want to look a little bit at the ancient history. Now, the reason I say that is because in preparing for this talk, I learned so much. And let me tell you, I've known this story pretty much all my life. I, I've got my little arch book. Do you remember arch books? Uh, the story of Zacchaeus put into verse and rhyme, and I won the book for Sunday school attendance. I always seem to win the attendance prize uh, at Sunday school. And, and I must say that my version of the Zacchaeus story has been greatly influenced by the pictures in that book. It's funny, isn't it, uh, that sometimes when you learn things as a child, your understanding of those things stays there. I... I I lived for a few years in Belgium, in Brussels, and had the opportunity of going into the uh, European Parliament to lead a Bible study group. And, and um, one of the members of the Bible study group, a member of the European Parliament, a man of incredible learning and, and um, international experiences, uh, when we came to Bible passages, it struck me how his understanding, even of the worldly things, was just so vast. When it came to the Bible, he had the understanding of a six or seven-year-old because guess when he stopped going to church? When he was about seven or eight. And I wonder if we get stuck back there. So let me take you into ancient history and share with you some of the things that I've learned. For example, did you know that at this time in Palestine, poverty was so severe that people lived a subsistence life. That is, they didn't know whether they would have food for tomorrow. When Jesus teaches them to pray for their daily bread, he is telling them to pray for something which they really hope for. When we pray for our daily bread, I'm not sure we even notice what we're talking about. But for them, the reality of that was their daily reality. Um, women, average height, men's average height, was really because of their, their terrible diet, because of their incredible poverty, they were very small. Um, I, I once did this and then I got in trouble from my wife for doing it. If you know Belinda, she's not extremely tall. Um, but I got everyone to stand up. And I said, if, 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 for men who are standing up, if you're over five foot two, please sit down. And just about everybody in the room uh, sat down. Uh, there were only a few men left standing. And then I said, at five foot two, you were taller than the average man in Palestine. For women, if you're four foot ten, you're about average height. That's not very tall, is it? Now, archaeologists have discovered this um, by looking at what's called ossuary boxes. Ossuary boxes are the equivalent of an ancient coffin. The ossuary box 
was the length of the longest bone in the body, which I understand is the femur, and that would tell you how tall the person was. So the average height was about 4 foot 10 for women, about 5 foot 2 for men. Um, whatever that is in metric, showing my age. I think it's about 150 centimetres for men and about... Uh, sorry, for women, about 160, something like that. Um, now, why was the poverty so great? Was there a famine? Were, were, were there, was there pestilence? What was it that caused such great poverty? It was the taxation system. The Romans had invaded and they'd brought with them an incredible taxation system. 20% tax, flat, on everyone who lived in the empire. 20%. On top of that, if you lived in Palestine, a Jewish person also had to pay 10% tax to the temple. And on top of that, there was a local king called Herod who had the most... Um, incredible building program going. How did he pay for that? Through taxes. The taxation system was so severe, it forced people to live in abject poverty, a subsistence life. It was only because of the taxation. And it was horrific. No wonder these people felt oppressed and no wonder they were looking forward to Rome going and someone else coming. It was a terrible time to live. There was a basic structures uh, were that you could be a landowner. Landowners were quite wealthy. But the taxes on the landowners were so great that many landowners became managers of farms. And if you think of some of the stories that Jesus tells, he often talks about the manager of a vineyard or the manager of a farm. Well, landowners often became managers because they'd have to sell their property and they would sell their property often to Sadducees who lived in Jerusalem. The Sadducees were incredibly wealthy, but they lived up in Jerusalem and they just owned properties uh, around the countryside. The managers would run it. If the manager got in trouble, he would sell up as a manager and become a fisherman. Uh, Many of them did that. Uh, You might remember Jesus told a story about a manager who was very shrewd. Although in that story, he says, I don't want to have to dig. I'm too old to dig. Because under the fishermen was another level, and they were the ones who are called tectone. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of Greek for you, just to impress all those who've just finished college, right? And, and remember what tectone is, yeah? Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, the English word we get, tectonic plates. It's basically when stones, it's the person who was a tectone would dig out stones to make the roads for Rome or the buildings for Herod. So Herod made this massive harbour in a place called Caesarea Maritima. He, he built the temple in Jerusalem. He had building programs all over the countryside, many named after Caesar, but most to his name and to his honour. Um, and... The poor people really were the ones who would dig out the stones to build his buildings. Tectone, translated into English, is carpenter. They were the poorest of the poor. And Jesus came and was born the son of a carpenter into that lowest strata of life, the lowest strata of society. In a a poverty-stricken world, Jesus came into the lowest estate. And the reason people were so poverty-stricken and so 
abused was because of the taxes. And so we come to Luke 19 and there's a story of a tax collector. A tax collector known by the locals. Do you notice when the, when the Pharisees are speaking or when the crowd mumbles? They're sinners. The, the word for sinner is someone who's a rebel, an enemy, who opposes. And even though Zacchaeus has a Jewish name, even though he's born into the tribe of the Jews, he's known as an enemy, a traitor. Because all tax collectors were. Tax collectors were excluded from the community. Tax collectors couldn't go to the synagogue. Tax collectors were certainly not allowed into the temple. In fact, they were so despised and hated that if you had currency in your hand that had been through the hand of a tax collector, you couldn't use that to pay the temple tax. So if, if, if you paid your taxes to the tax collector and, he, and on the odd occasion that he may have given you change and it came into your hand, you couldn't use that money. It was so tainted. They were enemies. You couldn't eat with them. You certainly wouldn't eat with them. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. Well, with that background in mind, it's worth, before we jump into the story, thinking about the context for the people in the story, a little bit of a biblical context. You see, these people are oppressed and they're desperate. But they had been promised that one would come, the son of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, the promise is made that an heir of David, someone born into his line, would sit on his throne, re-establish the kingdom, bring in the kingdom of God. And they were really waiting for it. In the Old Testament, this son of David was also referred to as a son of man. But if you read the Old Testament, wherever that expression is used, son of man, it's in the context of judgment. This one is going to come. The son of man will come and he will judge those who oppress. Did you hear the Isaiah reading? Did you hear the concerns that the prophet brings to the people? God's concerns that we would not disregard the fatherless, that we would plead the cause of the widow, that we would look after those who are downtrodden and oppressed. And this son of man who's going to come, he will do just that. This son of David will re-establish God's kingdom. And they were really looking forward to that. They were told in Daniel that four kingdoms would come and go and then the son of man would come. And they'd seen Babylon rise and fall. They'd seen the Medes and the Persians come and go. They'd seen the Greeks. And no matter how great Alexander was, he came, he went. And now Rome. And they were waiting, hoping Rome would be the fourth kingdom that would fall, fulfilling Daniel's prophecy, bringing in the time of the Son of Man, bringing in the judgment of God on these evil oppressors, the tax collectors included amongst them. And they knew from Micah that this king would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They knew from Micah chapter 4 that the Son of Man would give sight to the blind and would allow the lame to walk. They'd seen Jesus do that. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, the last character you see before we transition into this story is a blind man who cries out, Jesus, Son of David. They've joined the dots. They've recognised the person. And Jesus is now on his way up to Jerusalem. Is he going to establish the kingdom? That's what's on the the lips of everyone who's watching and, and waiting. 
It's a very exciting time to be there. And yet Jesus does things which throw them. He becomes a friend of a tax collector. He eats with him. How could this be the great king that they were waiting for? How could this be the one who'd bring fair judgment if he's the friend of the enemy? If you look back at chapter 15, you'll see that the Pharisees, who are the righteous leaders of the community, cannot understand how on earth you would listen to this man. And then Jesus tells them stories of the lost. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost sons. But tax collectors in Luke, the one who's written down a very careful record of what took place, tax collectors in the Gospel of Luke are always spoken of in a positive light. In chapter 5, when we first come across one, his name is Levi, also known to us as Matthew, the author of the Gospel. And that disciple of Jesus is one of the first ones that Jesus speaks with. In fact, he's one of the first to be named in the Gospel of Luke. I really don't... I'm grateful for chapter breaks in our Bibles. It's handy for us to look it up. But the problem with chapter breaks is that this separates from what's just gone before. And let me say, as we now look at a Lucan context, where does Luke put this? He puts this little story in the context of the lost that starts back in chapter 15. He puts this in the context of where Jesus has explained who he's come to help and to save. Because in chapter 18, he says to little children, let them come to me. You realise that in the ancient world, children had no rights whatsoever. Uh, They were not recognised until they come of age. But Jesus accepts them and in fact endorses their humility. Then also, a rich man comes to Jesus in chapter 18. And this rich man, obviously blessed by God, that was the understanding people would have had, this rich man comes and Jesus talks to him about his obedience and his faith. And he says, have you obeyed? Yes, the commandments, yes, yes, read them out, I've done them. Tick the box, tick the box, tick the box. And so Jesus speaks to him about his faith. Then sell everything and follow me. Basically, put your money where your mouth is. Come with me. And we all know the story, don't we? Because you, you remembered Zacchaeus. Do you remember the story of the rich man? He went away sad because he had so much wealth. The disciples then panicked, thinking, boy, if, if the blessed ones can't get in, what about us? What's going to happen to me? And Jesus says to them, you know what? It's easier to get the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. They really panic when they hear that. And Jesus, don't worry. What's impossible with men is possible with God. And then we come to Zacchaeus, who's a rich man, and he enters the kingdom. The impossible happens. And do you notice in the story that it's Jesus who invites Zacchaeus down, and it's Jesus who says, I'm coming to your place. It's Jesus who takes the initiative. It's Jesus who seeks the lost. It's Jesus who finds him. And do you notice that Zacchaeus responds with obedience because he goes beyond what the law requires in restitution and with faith. This is an amazing story, but I didn't pick up any of that from my Sunday school account. 
And you know what I really missed when I was at Sunday school? Is who's lost. We live in a community of people who are lost. And here's the sad thing. They don't even know they're lost. Many years ago, uh, the family, we were away on a house party uh, up in the Blue Mountains at a place called The Grange at Mount Victoria. The Grange is a lovely spot and out the back of it is National Park which just goes on and on and on and on and on. Uh, uh, I, had, I have a daughter, Nicole. She's now in her 30s and so the story ends well. Don't panic. But when she was three, or four rather, when she was four, she and her friend Grace, who was three, decided that they would go for a bushwalk at The Grange. And, of course, they were waiting for mum and dad to take them, but mum and dad were too busy having tea and coffee with their friends and saying, just wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. So they decided they'd take themselves off. And it wasn't, if I know, if you ever had that sinking feeling where you go to look for the kids and they're not there? Yeah, well, let me tell you, my stomach was at my ankles. And, and if you know the Grange, there is a dam just down the bottom. And I thought, not the dam... And I went down to the dam. I was standing on the edge. The water was so murky and brown, you couldn't see into it. And I just prayed, Lord, not, please, Lord, not in here. And then I heard from the top of the ridge, we found them. Well, I tell you what, Usain Bolt, he's got nothing on me. I got from that dam to the top of that ridge in seconds. And, and when we got up there, there they were, Grace and Nicole, hand in hand, the biggest grins on their face you can imagine, heading off in completely the wrong direction, having the most wonderful bushwalk. They were so lost. They needed someone to find them. And they didn't even know they were. And our neighbours and our work colleagues and our family members who don't know Jesus are worse off. Hopelessly lost. The mission of the church is the mission of Jesus. And how we've messed that up over years. We've got caught up in administration and we've got caught up in all kinds of causes and we've got caught up in all kinds of politics. And it is not the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is that lost people will know the truth and the truth will set them free. The mission of Jesus is that the lost will be found and he will rescue them. We are sinners, his enemies. And yet he comes and he eats with us, welcomes us into his home. That's the mission. And brother, as you join the ministry team, don't ever lose sight of that. You'll get caught up into all kinds of administration. Isn't that right, Matt? You get caught into all kinds of administration. You get caught into all kinds of causes and politics. Jesus' mission is to seek and to save the lost. Stick to it. Let's pray. Father, may we have a passion for the lost that is rekindled as we hear you speak to us today. And would you help us to be both faithful and obedient. Amen.